This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. It feels like football weather out there. It is a little cool it's outside. Little it was out like there. 50 degrees last night. Well, when I was yesterday to sleep. it was freezing. In Baby, the rain? it's that time of year. I am ready for some football. Calendar turns to September. College football gets underway. I know they had some games last weekend, but it gets underway officially tonight with the Ohio State University kicking things off. Full weekend of college football starting on Saturday. And then the big boys, the real league kicks off in just over 10 days from now. Man, well, actually, in a week from now, as the One Thursday night game, today. the Buccaneers it, and Tom, Dallas Cowboys, days. it feels like football, unfortunately, Guys, this is the last positive thing you'll really hear from me in this episode of the Steelers Standard with myself, Tom Opperman, and my co-host, Jacob Reck, because we got IR problems right off the bat for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We said, Jacob, some moves were a little questionable on our episode earlier this week. You know, why do they keep this many defensive linemen? How come there's five running backs, Benny Snell making the team? Things have become a lot more clear now that the IR situation has come to fruition. We got to start at the top, the one that's going to affect the team the most. Steph Tewitt goes on IR. Uh, I think it's a knee thing that they said that he's working himself through. The only thing you really need to know, though, is that means for at least three weeks, Steph Tewitt will not be available. So this coming week counts, but you right. know for a fact he will not be able to play in the Buffalo game now and the Las Vegas game. Still hold out hope for Cincinnati, but... Those first two games, you're to it list. I think you can get by without to it for the Vegas and the Bengals game. But the Buffalo game, especially to start the season, especially coming in week one, especially when you also consider the fact that the past two years they've had the upper hand on you in your head-to-head matchups, that's a, that's a backbreaker, man. That is tough to swallow considering the ambiguity that's been surrounding Steph to it all off season long. We know what he's had to deal with personally, but physically there was a lot of a lot left said and a lot that was unclear about how healthy he would yeah. be to start the season. And when you compound that on what he had to go through and, and live through uh, in the off season with his brother, it's, it, it, I don't want to say I'm, I'd, I wish he could be there. I wish I could rush him back because I don't know how much of a mental thing it – I don't know how much of the mental aspect affects the physical aspect, right? Because maybe he is suffering through, through something physical, and when you suffer through something mentally like he did personally, that only makes it harder to recover from whatever physical setback you're dealing with. I think at the very beginning you said it best that you know you can sneak by without two against a team like the Raiders, although they're no slouch and have to be taken seriously. And you can definitely sneak by at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. That offensive line is still not that great, so should be able to get sufficient pressure on Joe Burrow there even without Steph Tewitt. But it's that season opener at Buffalo, man. Steph Tewitt is a game-breaker for you in so many regards. I mean, when you have to deal with Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt, and then you throw in Steph Tewitt into that mix as well as far as an offensive line and how they have to protect against this pass rush. It's it's unfair almost that you keep throwing these guys at them, and now you take Steph Tewitt out of that equation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not 
being dramatic when I say that this actually might swing my prediction for the game because I kind of felt the whole time that Toot was probably going to be healthy-ish by the time Buffalo rolled around that honestly I thought the main reason that he was being sat out was due to the mental anguish of losing his brother which is completely understandable but I also just thought that once you know week before Buffalo he'd start practicing ramping up the football shape and then he'd play in the Buffalo game but now there's this injury that's been uh, come to fruition for everybody, and now he's out for at least the first two games of the season. And that, I think, can swing it in the favor of Buffalo. Now you get more focus on a Cam Hayward. Now you get more focus on a T.J. Watt who hasn't had any practice time leading up to this game so far. I, I think that this is a move that Steelers fans, because of the Haywards and the Watts and Highsmith and Ingram and Minka, they still say, well, so such a great defense. You're missing such a key part now that this could swing the game. Absolutely, and we we talked about so much in the offseason how solid the defensive line is as a unit. We said it's top to bottom. It's the best unit that the Steelers have and in at football. their hand. And in football, probably the best defensive line out there. And then to lose a guy, we said how bad it could be to lose any of the three, whether it was Cam, Steph, or Tyson – and it doesn't matter who because they're all valuable and they're all needed to make this line as formidable as it is. And now here you are going up against an opponent, which you are the underdog going in. You could be optimistic. And I think you and I talked ourselves into a level of optimism of which was a realistic expectation of possibly going into Buffalo winning that game, despite what national pundits may say, saying the Steelers are going to win under five, or they're going to be under 500 on the year, and Buffalo is going to be an easy win for the Bills against the Steelers. And now, when you lose a guy like Steph to it, it's not like you're losing Ben Roethlisberger. But as you said, Tom, it's going to make the Bills' offensive line game plan a lot easier to prepare for, considering they only now have to deal with right. two defensive linemen. But something that Dale Lawley said that made a lot of sense to me yesterday on the drive was. I don't even know if going into this Buffalo game, if you even had Steph Tewitt available to you, you would essentially, you would necessarily see three defensive linemen out there all too often because you know the Bills are a pass-heavy team. You want the extra DB. You want the extra guy out there. You want maybe not even that, but maybe even the extra linebacker. Mm. Maybe you put all five guys that you have out there because the mm. Bills are just an atrocious running team. Their running back is essentially just Josh Allen. Devin Singletary and, and, and Zach Moss, and Zach Moss don't do anything for you. It's it's all about Josh Allen. So is it the biggest blow? No, but it's still going to be – I think the effect is still going to be seen uh, on the field on Sunday. It just uh, – personally, it sucks. You know, this is a guy that finally put things together last year, had a healthy season. He only missed one game, and that was due to being in the COVID protocol where he was asymptomatic, I believe. So – he was not even hurt at all last year. Put together a double-digit sack performance, 11 and a half sacks on the season for Steph Tewitt. Finally had his breakout year because he was able to stay healthy. Uh, a guy who's never been to a Pro Bowl, even though that seems shocking, poised to make his first Pro Bowl this year, and he starts off the year on IR and has to already automatically miss more games than he did the previous year. Just a tough pill to swallow. Talking about replacing him, though, you mentioned something about how Dale said, oh, maybe you just use all five linebackers. Even if you go with three guys down, I was driving over here, Jacob, and I'm thinking, 
put Melvin Ingram out there. I mean, I, why I no why do we do that. why would we mess around with Hayward, Wormley, Bugs, Davis, and then Alu Alu on the outside? Keep Hayward and Alu Alu in their spots. Just have Melvin Ingram put his hand in the dirt, or hell, if he doesn't want to put his hand in there, just have him stand up over the the left tackle or right tackle. That's fine with me. I think that's the best option that you have right now. You have this guy that's versatile in Melvin Ingram. And yeah, it's great because it helps in the outside linebacker depth. He can give Highsmith a blow. He can give Watt a blow. But he can also help you in these kind of situations too where you don't have to experience too much of a drop-off with the best 11 on the field for your defense if he's the guy that replaces to it for the majority of the snaps. I think that's the best way for them to go about it is let's see King Mel out there a lot more. And if you want to go with just two down linemen, Alu Alu and Hayward are fine with me there, and you can have Ingram out there, or you could bring in Pierre and bump Sutton to the slot and do five DBs. But if you're going to go the traditional 3-4, why not have one of the three be Ingram? Yeah, I mean, I think I hadn't really thought about that, putting Ingram up front, but that's a genius idea because the drop-off from Melvin Ingram to guys like Bugs or Davis or Wormley, any of them, I don't want – or Mondu, who we just said <laughs> made the team – who we didn't predict to make the team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great observation by you. Thanks, to Tony the Tiger. Huh? You were like, great. great. It, was, it was. It was great because, you, I mean, you're spot on. The, it's all about putting the best the, 11 out there. You didn't go out. The, when you brought in Chris Wormley and, and Henry Mondu, and when you drafted guys like Bugs and Davis, it wasn't with the intention of, when you brought in Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram was a perennial pro bowler. Melvin Ingram was a proven starting linebacker in this league who is an edge rusher who, by definition, can line up and, in some instances, put his hand in the dirt. Last three seasons in L.A., he played right defensive end. There you go. So he's got experience doing it. He's got experience doing both. He's a Swiss Army knife kind of player. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about earlier when he was first brought in, bumping him into the middle yeah. to, to clear up or, or, or free Robert Spillane from the starting position. But now that you have Joe Schobert there, there's still no reason for you to just keep Melvin Ingram on the sideline. Use the guy because he can be used in so many different ways. In a short sample size, too, I think Melvin Ingram can give you pretty much exactly what step two it would give you. If you had to extrapolate him playing defensive end for all 17 games this year, if two was, God forbid, injured for the entire season, I think you start to see the 32-year-old Ingram wear down a little bit. You know, teams start to figure out how to defend him a little bit more as they see him more after he was hurt a lot last year. You know, they start to get back up to speed with stopping Melvin Ingram. But in a short sample size, if it's just the first two games, three games of the season, I think he can give you just as much productivity as Steph Toot would. I mean, we saw him in that Lions game when the defense had their dress rehearsal and the Jadeveon Clowney-esque hit he had mm. in the backfield. I mean, Toot, more, I know he had 11 and a half sacks last year, but what stands out to me with Toot is he's almost always in the backfield on run plays before the running back can even get back to the line of scrimmage. He's really stout in run defense just as well as he is in pass uh, run. And I think Ingram can be just as good in that short little window where he doesn't have to be the starter all year long, but get us through a couple games here, you know, full speed. And then you kind of fade back into a backup role the rest of the way. I think he can beat. I don't think there's going to be much of a drop off there if he's the guy they put out there. I'm not ruling out them just going with Wormley or Bugs, though, and bumping Alu Alu outside. No, I mean, you have, as you said, 11 guys that you have to start on the defensive side of the ball. But why not just put the best 11 that you have out there? And I, you and I both agree now that Melvin Ingram is better than anything that Chris Wormley can give you, anything that Bugs or Davis, Mondo, even if you put all four of them out there, 
together. The combination of talent isn't, I don't think, up to par with what Melvin Ingram can what Melvin Ingram can provide for you. I completely agree. I, I think it seems like the obvious choice here is that he's so clearly the best option and has experience somewhat playing in that position. You didn't bring him in to be the backup there, but duty calls. I mean, he's got to, you know, stretch his availability to jumping up on that line whenever you're faced with such dire injury problems and like I said, though, short-term, he's good. Long-term, if this becomes a long-term thing with Steph to it, then the Steelers are going to find themselves in some trouble because I'm cool with pulling from your outside linebacker depth for the first couple of games and having Ingram be the starter on the on the defensive line. But if that's got to be the case for all 17 games, then that strength of outside linebacker depth is now becoming that weakness that it had been before you signed Melvin Ingram because you just have to use him in another capacity. And now you're back to Highsmith and Watt being the guys and what Jameer Jones being the one that comes in as the spell guy. And that ain't going to be good for the majority of the season, if that is the case. So you got to hope that this is something too. It shakes by the Bengals game or at the very latest, he's back for the trip to Lambeau in week four. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the problem that we were dealing with, with Stefan to it, because as I said before, there was so much that was unclear about what he was dealing with physically it was just never addressed by Mike Tomlin and the pit, collective Pittsburgh media was not getting frustrated because the the situation surrounding Stefan Tuitt is so delicate. Tomlin's to been playing with. things a lot closer to the chest yeah. this year. Am I crazier? No, or I don't is think that you are. is that happening? Like I'm noticing are. he's being shorter more often and he's, that, he's really not giving anything. I mean, case in point He never the, really gave much before, but it feels right. different this year, right? Case in point, the, the backup quarterback situation, he would really not say much about it until He's like, like the day Knox, or two before yeah. the preseason game when he said, okay, we're going to go Rudolph number one here, Haskins number two. And then the final preseason game, he said, we're going to sit Rudolph and Haskins going to get the start. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely keeping things close to the chest, and he did so very, very much so with uh, Stefan Tuitt and what he was dealing with physically. So I think the frustration kind of arrives from we knew what he was dealing with with personally with his, the loss of his brother, but it was clear that there was something else happening. And now that you're entering week one of the regular season, obviously the Steelers are kind of left with a hand behind their held or tied behind their back because what they, I guess, thought was going to be something that could be dealt with in time on the offseason with his brother it's just now it's something more because now that was just something that he had to mentally go through and get through and I don't even know I doubt he's still over I mean that's a significant loss it, it, something like that you may never get over but physically I mean that's something that could keep you off the sidelines for a definitive amount of time and now it's just how long will it actually be luckily we said earlier to start the segment we know it's going to be for at least three weeks and luckily one of those weeks comes and this week before the season starts so hopefully you only get him or you're only without him for two weeks but as the season goes on I mean like you said once you go to Green Bay if you don't have Steph on to it that could be very very bad well, he might not be the only guy that's out for that Green Bay game, and he certainly won't be the only guy that's out for the first couple games of the year. He was the only defensive player pay placed on IR for the Steelers, but two offensive players found their way on that list. One guy that has been the most injury-prone throughout all of training camp, Zach Banner, lands on injured reserve, will miss the first three games for the Steelers. 
kind of saw the writing on the wall with this, with Dan Moore jumping in at left tackle in the last couple practices and Chuksakor for moving over to the right side of the line. A lot of speculation was that Banner won't be ready for week one in Buffalo. That's why you're seeing this new alignment with more playing left tackle where he's more comfortable because that's what they expect is going to have to happen up in uh, up in Buffalo. And now it's just confirmed. Banner on IR, missing that first game against Buffalo for sure. Dan Moore Jr. now is going to have to start on the left side of that line. It looks like it's not going to be Joe Haig. It's going to be Dan Moore. He'll start at left tackle. Troops will bump over to the right side. If Kendrick Green can beat out J.C. Hassenhauer, which I bet he still does, even though he's not listed ahead of him on the depth chart right now, that's two rookies that you're going to be starting week one. And the guy sandwiched between the two rookies is only in his second season, and Chooks is only in his fourth. So, man, two rookies anchoring that offensive line in the two most important positions on that offensive line is such a bold endeavor against a team that has Super Bowl aspirations and an improved pass rush in the Buffalo Bills. But I don't know if you're losing that much with Zach Banner being out. I, like, I get I just mm-hmm. illustrated dire straits. But you still might have been in those same dire straits with Zach Banner on the right side and Chooks on the left side. Like the drop off here might not be that bad between Banner and Moore. Yeah, I don't think it will be. But returning to our episode that we did earlier this week about the the roster cuts, the final cuts, it kind of makes you question the decision to only keep eight linemen in total. Well, you saw they brought Rashad Coward back. They did, but still, I mean, you want. I mean, I think kind of that still only makes eight though because Banner's right now you're out. on banners. You are so, no longer without. So Banner. they're still light, right? They're still they're still one man short of what you typically go with with nine guys in the offensive line. But the writing I think I think was kind of the writing was already on the wall for <laughs> Zach Banner because it just seemed like throughout all of training camp, throughout all the preseason, he just could not stay healthy, and right. it doesn't shock me in any way that. Here we are talking a week before the season starts that, yeah, he's got to go on the IR, which is very unfortunate for him. I, 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 you got to feel for the guy. He earned, he truly earned his way onto a, onto a starting roster for an NFL team. And immediately the rug was snatched out from under him in week one with it, within the first half of that first game of the season. And it's really unfortunate for the guy because he, he really got it. And it just seems like he, this injury is just looming longer and longer into his career, and it actually may spell the end of a career for Zach Banner. This comparison is giving both the guys in the equation too much credit, uh, Banner and Dan Moore. But you kind of set yourself up to be Wally Pipped here if you're Zach Banner. You know, you were the starter last year and you got hurt, and then you were the starter again this year and you've been hurt and you can't make it so that you can get healthy. And now you're giving this guy behind you the opportunity to go up there in Buffalo week one. If he thrives in the first couple of games, why wouldn't the Steelers just keep this current configuration at the offensive line? I mean, Wally Pipp was one of the best power hitters ever in baseball history. He gets hurt, and Lou Gehrig steps in and plays 2,130 consecutive games at that position. I, again, it's giving too much credit. We're not saying Dan Moore's the next Lou Gehrig or even that Banner's a Wally Pipp, but... You're leaving yourself vulnerable to lose your job here in Pittsburgh to the rookie more because you're just giving him that opportunity. You're letting him get an opportunity that you really should not be letting him get. I know you can't control if you're healthy or not, but man, these health problems and the potential of Dan Moore just shining in his first couple opportunities here. I agree with you. It could spell disaster for Banner as far as his Steelers career is concerned. 
but also his NFL career. I will say this, though. If Moore plays extremely well, even if Banner does get healthy and they continue with Moore on the left side because he's playing well, do you still I still like Banner, Banner as a sixth man, yeah, yeah. and being the first guy off the bench reporting eligible as a receiver, helping add some beef. He was great in that role before he decided to. they decided to push him up to the starting spot where he hasn't been able to play at all. So I, I wouldn't just get rid of him now if he can get healthy, but I really do hope that it's not like a we're going to give him the respect that we gave DeCastro last year when we put him back in even though Dotson was playing so much better. He ain't DeCastro. So Certainly if Moore's not. playing better, you keep Moore in. Certainly not. And I don't think that to, to go further with that analogy, when it was Kevin Dotson being the rookie, I mean, I think I got I to gotta figure that a lot of it had to do with Randy Figner's opinion on, on um, Dotson versus DeCastro. And... Randy Figner's no longer here. I think Matt Cannon has a lot better of a sense of his team and the guys he has available to him, and so does Mike Tomlin working with Matt Canada. So I don't even think that there will be a, an issue like that where Banner is certainly not David DeCastro. And Dan Moore Jr., I know we were very high on, on Kevin Dodson last year, but I think that the people in charge of making that decision of who will start, Matt Canna, will see it a lot more logically than Randy Feekner was able to do the year before. And I think that Randy, that Matt Canada, excuse me, can can recognize that Dan Moore Jr. is deserving of a starting spot. I hope so, man, because I love everything I've seen out of Dan Moore all throughout the preseason. He's one of the highest graded offensive linemen in all of football throughout his preseason campaign. I think that it's a really, really, really big risk to go with two rookies on your offensive line. But, man, if these two rookies can excel and hit the ground running, the risk, the, the reward from the risk is just astronomical. First of all, you have two incredibly affordable offensive linemen that are going to be at your anchor positions for the next four years on rookie deals, along with a guy in Dotson who's just hitting in – his his prime we hope hopefully chooks can just be a steady a steadying influence on that sure. right tackle side and and carve out a nice spot for him for the next couple of years i mean you're talking about potentially having the offensive line of the future together earlier than anticipated and if you're ahead of schedule in the nfl that's always such a bonus and such a big advantage against other teams when you can get good with young rookie cheap players it, it changes everything. You can pay for more players that you right. wouldn't have been able to pay for, for positions. And, and look, the Steelers might have to put some serious coin up for a quarterback coming up here soon if they don't want to go the rookie draft route and try to get a veteran to come in and prolong the success window that they have. If you have rookies on the offensive line that are affordable, along with a rookie running back and young wide receivers, I mean, you can have a lot of room to go out there and make a big splash while also having incredibly effective play on that offensive line and, and in the backfield as well. So I'm excited to see the young guys play. I'm ex I think this configuration that we're going to see in Buffalo is the one that brings the most excitement to me. I know it's a risk and it might be, not be the best five, but at least to watching it, I'm like, okay, this might be the line for the next five to ten years here. Trey Turner excluded, of course. No, I think if – Five years is a good window to have if you're including Trey Turner because we said the other day that we hope Trey Turner isn't just a one-stop guy in Pittsburgh. We hope that some deal, hopefully it doesn't cost the Steelers too much because, as you said, the Steelers need to spend their money elsewhere, maybe on the quarterback, assuredly to, to lock down Minka Fitzpatrick to keep him in Pittsburgh. But I think you could get – I think you could get – 
I think you can keep Trey Turner here for a reasonable cost, and then for the next five years, you have your starting five. You have your you have your four young guys in Chooks, Kendrick Green, Kevin Dotson, and Dan Moore Jr., and then you have your veteran presence in Trey Turner. So I don't think a five-year window, Tom, is that outwork or outlandish of you to say. One final guy getting placed on IR. It's your your man, Tony Mack. Anthony McFarland. Equally your man now. I you know. I like him, name. too. It's not going to happen, though. The Tony Mack show for at least the first couple of games this year makes a ton of sense now why they kept Benny Snow. I mean, now that's very clear. Not only that, but that. made him the number two guy yeah, behind it, it, Najee. Because I think he's probably going to be your change of pace back now, right, in this game against Buffalo. I You're not so. going to give Jalen Samuels a helmet. You're just going to dress the no. three. You're going to dress Balage, Snell, and Watt as your backup running back. So I think Be- Snell's probably going to end up being the change of pace back. He's not as good of a change of pace back as Anthony McFarland is, obviously. But I'll say it again, Tom. I, I believe Kalen Balage still gives you more than what Benny Snell can. So I- I'm hoping to see more of Kalen Balage than I do Benny Snell. Regardless, I don't, you, I don't know if you agree with me with that or not. I don't. I don't. I just don't know if I feel strongly about either one. What mm. I do feel strongly about is how good Tony Mack was going to be in such a utility gadget type of role. I think Ray Ray McLeod should have made the team as a fifth wide receiver, but I think his role in the offense is going to get supplanted a little bit by you know jet sweeps being Anthony McFarland's time instead of his, or little quick screen passes to the outside is going to be for Anthony McFarland instead of him, and that's an aspect that I was really looking forward to in this Matt Canada offense. I think. Obviously, Najee Harris is a, is a stud in the making, mm-hmm. but I think Canada also thinks he's got a, a cool little interesting little weapon here with Anthony McFarland and someone that can create big mismatches, and you could have really used that in week one when there's not much film on him against a really good team in Buffalo, and you're not going to get that opportunity. So as far as the Balaj snell thing, I'm honestly kind of lukewarm on both of those guys. I was really excited about Anthony McFarland being the second guy in this offense when Harris is healthy. And we're not going to see that for the first couple of weeks. So no, you're no. not going to see the Steelers offense at fully operational status because he was going to be a big part of their game plan week in and week out. So are you saying now that with Anthony McFarlane out, if you do see if you do see Ray Ray out there on the field, you think that kind of takes away the element of a surprise jet sweep or a surprise gadget kind of play because you can only figure he's out there for that purpose? Yeah, you, that's when you have to just be a good offensive coordinator and you got to put him out there for some dummy routes and just, you know, make the defense stay honest about it. Like, mm-hmm. just go out there and run a curl. Go out there and run a post. I mean, you're the, you're the fifth option for Ben, but just, you know, go out there and make it look like you're playing wide receiver so that they don't just think every time it's going to be a jet sweep. I will say this, though. Anytime you see Ray Ray in there running jet sweeps, going in motion, even if he doesn't get the ball, I would substitute – Anthony McFarland in your head for future reference whenever he's healthy. I think he's going to be that guy more so than, than yeah. Ray. I mean, you're they, only going to see Ray Ray when Ben goes empty set and you you need like 15, 20 yards on a third down. And even then, you still might just see Harris. So it wouldn't kill me to just see Najee yeah. out there. I mean, that's why you went out and got him. But I just feel, yeah. I mean, it's it, a big loss for McFarland though. It it's is. a it's a big loss. Bigger for the loss Steelers than people offense. are gonna think. It's a big loss for the Steelers' offense. He he was gonna be a big role player on this team. I agree. And I I don't think people people are obviously and they should be obsessed with Najee and excited to see Najee against Buffalo, but the running back the backfield is is weaker for Week One for sure. And I don't know if people realize that. Even if even if you're not losing Najee, yes, a piece behind is weaker. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it still makes a difference. It, it absolutely makes a difference. Well. 
We're going to get into those Buffalo Bills a little bit in the next episode of the Steelers Standard. Start our scouting report for that team, give you some weaknesses, and give you some strengths. And boy, do they have a lot of strengths up there in Buffalo. So we'll get into that on our next episode. For Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Opperman. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Steelers Standard. And thanks, as always, for listening to it right here on Steelers Nation Radio.